We're doing this. We're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> How many years later? God, is it four years? Yeah. That is terrifying. A little under four years. We did it in December before the trials, so God. <laughs> yeah, a lot a lot has changed. Oh my god. <laughs> a lot has changed. Some mm-hmm. some is still the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited to be kind of doing this together and kind of creating a way of capturing like your journey to the trials. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like reflecting on that podcast that we did four years ago, I feel like that was such a, I almost feel like it was this like inflection point for both of us that our lives have become so different since then in like really cool ways. And so it's like, it's really cool to like come back to it now, like looking forward at this next like four years of like this time right now that I feel like is kind of this like growing transitional period for both of us too again. Yeah. What would you say are like kind of the biggest differences in your life from (laughs) now to four years ago? (laughs) The biggest difference is I I live in Flagstaff full time. Um, I made the Olympic team, spoiler alert, if you (laughs) haven't seen anything since that last podcast, it worked out. Um, We lived through a global pandemic. Um, I won an Olympic medal. Went back into eating disorder treatment. Um, I live with my partner now, Matt. And yeah, I feel like my life is just like different in every possible sense of the word. Like, it's kind of amazing to look back on that. I'm like, wow, like everything has changed. (laughs) Yeah. Mm And I mean, and you're getting an MBA. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have a dog now. We have a dog. <laughs> we have a fat boy. Yeah, there's some pretty, yeah. uh, like it's pretty wild. Yeah, I just feel like, and it, like, I think that kind of is what your 20s is about, is like, just like so many things are changing so quickly and you're just growing in so many different ways. But I felt like that came at a time when, I was even considering like what my place in the sport was and like whether I wanted to continue. And I think that's the one thing that I'm still kind of like resonating with a little bit. Like I almost feel like life has a bit of a circular kind of tilt to it. And I feel like now I'm like coming back to that. I'm like, okay, like four years later, like why am I still doing this? Do I want to keep doing this? Like what are my reasons to keep doing this? And I think it's a an interesting thing to always find yourself coming back to that same thing. Like you're never going to be static in it. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Why? Yeah. Why are you still doing it? I don't know, girl. I don't know how to do anything else. (laughs) No, I, I think some of it is like just the shifting priorities of it. But at the same time, I feel like it is still that very, like, I don't want to use the term like juvenile, but like, a very childlike sense of just like, I really love doing this thing. And so I'm going to keep doing this thing. And I think that's kind of at the core of it. Maybe just like a delusional stubbornness more than anything. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's been so many challenges at many points of the career. And so it's like having to actually figure out like, why do I keep doing this? And time and time again, it almost just seems like more of like, well, I really don't want to do anything else. So like, I'll just figure this out and keep doing it until I can't anymore. Mm. Yeah, there's like a lot of persistence in that. Yeah, I wish that was like a more inspiring thing to say of just like, it feels like, yeah, like, I don't know, despite all the like very legitimate reasons not to keep doing it, you just kind of keep like, well, I'll just keep at it like a little bit longer and just see. I feel like that's kind of been the theme of all of this. That's what, heck, trials was four years ago. It was like, ah, I'll just go through trials and then I'll reevaluate. Maybe I'll be done. Maybe I'll go back to school or something. And like, yeah, it's just kind of funny that just that little bit of like kicking the can down the road in a sense has turned into all of this. Yeah. Maybe that's not the right term for it because I think I'm too intense of a person to just be like considering it like, oh, I'll just do this for a bit longer. It's more of like just this like feeling of like, I've just like, I have to keep doing this for a little bit longer. Yeah. I feel like we went like just like right into the meat of it. Oh yeah. We we got like backpedal. But I'm like, maybe we should first kind of introduce like who we are. Yeah. How we even know each other. People are going to come into this blank and be like, what the hell are they talking about right now? But this is kind of how we roll. We go deep pretty quick. Um, But yeah. Like how do you, how do you describe yourself? And Mm -hmm. like, who, who are you? Yeah, I guess I'll I'll start in like the broadest sense. My name is Molly Seidel. I am a professional runner for Puma and Team USA. I am a Olympic marathon medalist. I am a 
graduate of University of Notre Dame, go Irish. I am from Wisconsin originally, and I live in Flagstaff, Arizona now. And yeah, I think that's probably how I would describe myself. I love that. Mm -hmm. How would you describe yourself, Julia? (laughs) Yeah, interesting. That question kind of intimidates me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so first things that come to mind... um, I'm a dog mom. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty important <laughs> to me right now. Um, I also work as a mental health therapist, and that's mm-hmm. something different is different than four years ago. At that mm-hmm. time, I hadn't finished my master's and yeah. started that work. Um, I do that. I've been teaching yoga for 12 years. Mm-hmm. I do that. Um, I recently started a retreat company, mm-hmm. so I do that. Which um, is coming up in a week. <laughs> yeah, and Molly's going to be speaking at Seed Retreat next week, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how else do I describe myself? I'm a partner. I'm a mm-hmm. friend. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about storytelling like I did my podcast running on home for a couple years and mm-hmm. have since retired from that but I'm really excited to do this like series together yeah yeah and I feel like I love facilitating conversation I love facilitating mm-hmm. dialogue whether that be in the therapy space or in this so yeah it just feels like a real honor and treat to be here yeah and now I'm so glad that I get to do this with you I feel yeah. like like for people listening in, Julia and I have been friends for, yeah, many years now at this point. Um, and it's been really cool to watch you, like, grow into this space of, like, you were doing Running on Ohm when we first met. And that you've moved into more of, like, the, the therapy space now and, like, really grown in that and worked so hard over the last few years to become a therapist. And so it's really cool now to see you returning to this podcasting space because that was my introduction to, to you of just listening to the podcast and fangirling and, like, I loving the that. pod. Oh, yeah. I, oh I listened to it all through college. I like would listen to your episodes with you and Abby and just like absolutely fangirl and so when we the first time I met Julia was we did a speaking thing together at Tracksmith Mm -hmm. like the first week or two that I had moved to Boston and I was fangirling so hard like I just would like you to know that so it's really funny like that we've gotten to grow into friends from there because it just started out as me just being a fan yeah and then we had a rock climbing Mm -hmm. chapter together yeah because I feel like we like we like met at that thing and then like didn't really talk and then I had gotten injured and I was rock climbing at CRG and we took a um a lead climbing class together and that's how we kind of reconnected and then I went to Ethiopia with you, and it was just like a whole whole thing. And then I followed you to Flagstaff. I'm very happy. <laughs> so now I live here, and you live here. We live yeah. a mile away from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm super grateful for our mm-hmm. friendship, and yeah. I've just learned so much from you and how you've kind of mm-hmm. navigated the highs and lows of the of your mm-hmm. life, and especially the past couple of years. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned so much from you. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to do this podcast now here with you as someone who started out as a fan of your podcasting, of now getting the opportunity to kind of document the next few months, especially. Mm -hmm. Uh, So right now it's August 2023, and the trials are... How many months away? They're six months six away. Six months away. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the Olympic trials are six months away um, in Orlando, Florida. And so we're going to be documenting every month leading into the trials of kind of just like taking stock, sitting down, talking about things, um, and use it a little bit as a way to not only like reflect on this time, but to document and hopefully be able to, I don't know, I feel like times like these really give me a chance to like actually process through a lot of emotions that are just pinging around in my head all the time and saying it out loud is almost a way for me to yeah be able to make my thoughts more intentional sometimes Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm so excited to hold this container together Mm -hmm. um and just kind of see how it evolves over the next couple months Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so when we kind of were talking about when we jumped in at the beginning to thinking about like where you were four years ago, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could think about like when you think about the past four years, what has been like the high and mm-hmm. what has been the low for you, whether it be like a high moment that comes up mm-hmm. immediately or like more of a thing, like a general thing. But yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because there, I feel like there are so many high points and things are high points for different reasons. But I think coming back to like, just the, like, I I think sometimes that, like, you experience, like, true joy sometimes with things that aren't as expected or things that, like, 
you didn't see coming necessarily. And I think that's kind of like the funny thing in the universe that you sometimes if you are like dreaming of a certain thing, like I think if I'd been over the last, like basically the, from when we did that first podcast in 2019 up and through when the Olympics were, I think if I'd been thinking that whole time of like, you have to win a medal, you have to go for it. I don't think it would have been as satisfying, but then because so much of that time, that wasn't almost even a thought that the suddenness of it would made it such a high point of like, it was something that I almost couldn't have even imagined would have happened. Same thing with like making the team going into it. It wasn't this like ultimatum that I'd made to myself of like, you make this team or not. And because it was unexpected. It just brought so much joy. It's like that almost like crazy rush of just like, oh my God, this is incredible rather than the like just relief that it, uh, that you were able to do it. I was just listening to Allison Felix on Armchair Expert. And she, I listened like, to it this morning. Yeah. It was, and I like <laughs> that hit so hard of like when you are like, when you have that goal of like trying to go for it. And it's like, sometimes it's just that relief of just like not failing versus like this, oh my God, like I did that. I feel like that's what made trials in the Olympics such incredible high points because it like, it wasn't that it came out of nowhere, but it was just that like incredible, like shocking nature of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you went into the Tokyo marathon, like Mm -hmm. was the goal to podium that day for you? When you say Mm -hmm. like being almost like shocked and surprised. Like, I, or was I, the goal to just like show up? Yeah. I think it's funny because the goal like shifted so many times. I think going in, I was very happy just to be there at first. Um, and I was confident in the training, how it had gone. But I think like, it's just such a, the marathon is such a hard race of, and so many things can go wrong in 26.2 miles that you could be the fittest person in the world and something could still go to shit during it. So it's like... I feel like I went into it thinking like, okay, there's a possibility that this could happen, but I don't know if I'm just being delusional or whatnot. And then over the course of that week with Alephine, like who was my teammate for that, um, who was coming in injured, she like just shifted into like support mode. I think she knew that she wasn't going to be finishing that race. And so she just like was so supportive that whole week and really pumping me up and like the first night she got there and we shared a room and she was like, you can win a medal at this. And I think like that was the first time that I really like started to believe it to like basically the night before the race, talking with my brother and sister and saying like, yeah, like I'm going to try to go for it tomorrow. Like I'll try to go for a medal and just see what happens. And so I think it was there, but it's like just the, yeah, it's always kind of a shock when something big like that happens because you just never know. You could do all the preparation in the world and it still might not work out. So I think you need to be so grateful that things can work out. Just the randomness of the universe will like point to everything going right because so many times it just won't. Yeah, so it like, was. Yeah. It, I listened to our episode that we did together mm-hmm. um, this past week, and like in preparation for our conversation yeah. now. And you said something that was so potent. You said, "Nothing bad lasts forever, mm-hmm. and nothing good lasts yeah. forever." And yeah. I feel like it's like the you winning an Olympic medal was mm-hmm. so huge, but like it doesn't last forever. Oh, exactly. Like, and if anything, it lasts for a much shorter period of time than people think. Like, yeah, I think you return to reality very, very quickly, and. If anything, it's almost like harder after that because you expect to be, I think more than anything with every, like with the mental health challenges that I've gone through and whatnot, I think I expected that if I accomplished something that big, that by the time I accomplished it, I would be the kind of person that wouldn't deal with that stuff anymore. And so then being like, being at the Olympics, still very much dealing with an, an eating disorder that hadn't gone full off the rails again yet, but like I was, I was in the thick of it in Tokyo, and then winning a medal, and it was this cognitive dissonance of like, wait, like I'm still this incredibly flawed person that has, a, like, is really not in the greatest space right now, but I just accomplished my greatest dream. How do I? how do I make these two things live in harmony in my brain? And I couldn't, I, it broke me. Like, I, I think the next few months I never processed just what that, that shock to the system did to me. And it just completely unwound me. Yeah. I remember seeing you like the week you got home Mm -hmm. in in your backyard and like, it was like, you had your medal, but like 
there was like also a sense of like grief and sadness. I yeah. remember it was and, like, it was just like this rawness. I remember seeing you at like, yeah, it's such an interesting thing. Cause I think afterwards, like I had to like, I don't get me wrong. I was so excited to win the medal, but it was also this very difficult feeling of, I have to project this air of excitement and happiness. And I think the people who are close to me could see through that a little bit, but yeah, to the public, you had like everyone's like, "Oh my God, are you so happy?" Or like, you have to like almost play act at this image of what people expect an Olympian to be. And I saw it happen to so many other Olympians around me that it it's really really hard of like just the coming back from it, being in that weird stressful space of not only being at the Olympics but the Olympics during a pandemic. So a huge amount of mental strain, yeah. and people dealt with it in varying ways. But I think it's a lot harder of a thing to process than a lot of people expect, and it's not necessarily this overwhelming joy, which I think is okay. I think that's what life is. It's being able to deal with the dichotomy of things. It can be the greatest moment of your life and also a very difficult time. And that doesn't make any any less of either of those experiences. But I think it's it's a very nuanced idea that yeah, hasn't really broken through the, yeah, like the perception of what the Olympics is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so well said. Mm-hmm. And so if you kind of think about the past four years that we talked about, like the high I'm hearing is like the experiences of the trials and the experience mm-hmm. of the Olympics were both highs for you. Yeah. What for you stands out as the low? Mm. Um, basically when I just kept like going deeper and deeper down the hole after the Olympic experience and never really dealt with it, eating disorder just got like full relapse and just kept hiding it because of what the perception was. I was supposed to be portraying this image of uh, overcame eating disorder, accomplished big things, life is great and everything's good now. And that just did not match up with the reality. And I had to frankly just hide it from everyone except for those very close people to me for a really long time. And the strain of it just like... Yeah, I just kind of unwound, had to pull out of the Boston Marathon with a hip injury, and then I just spiraled from there, and yeah, had to pull out of the world champs, and I went into eating disorder treatment after that, and have been kind of taking the last year to just get, yeah, just repair everything that, like, that broke so hard, and honestly, like, frankly, just have to become a different person. Yeah, which is tough, but it's so worth it. So do you it. feel like now, because I feel like right now you're in a really like integrated place right now, mm-hmm. just in your life of like yeah. super like stable and strong. And do you feel like mm-hmm. now is like a return to self or like a rebirth? I almost feel like it's more of a rebirth because I think I've just been so unhealthy for so long and never really learned the right way to handle things. I think we were talking about this the other night of just like, I feel like for such a long time since college, but even before then, because I've dealt with eating disorder stuff since I was a kid. Um, I think a lot of my running has always come from a place of like pain and uh, which will not make sense to a lot of people because I think the public sees me as this very like happy, go lucky, drink a beer for me, girl. And I don't think that always rings true. There's a like just coming from a history of shoving down mental illness, shoving down a lot of the trauma that I've experienced and using that as the fuel to run faster. And so over this last year, just figuring out that I can't do that anymore. It's just not sustainable. And if I keep trying to do that, I'll be out of the sport. And so it's like trying to figure out a new way to to push myself and to be in this sport when it's coming from a place of happiness and joy rather than pain all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pain or anxiety or fear and stuff like that. And that's not, I'm not trying to like wallow in it and be like, it's only ever been bad. But like, I think like if I'm honest with myself, that has been too much of a fuel for way too long. And I just don't want to live like that anymore. And to not live like that, it's not just like, I need to just change some behaviors and then I'm okay. I think like it was realizing like if I wanted to be over this eating disorder, I have to be a new person. And that's really hard to grow into a new person. Yeah. What do you feel like has been a part of your journey into like this new person or this new? Mm, I think realigning priorities a little bit of figuring out the things that are important to me. And 
I think for a long time, my priorities were just run, run as hard as you can right now because you don't know how long your body's going to last. So you got to burn it all to the ground and don't let people in and just like, you got to do this solo. You're going to be alone forever. And so just like hammer it out now and pick up the pieces later. And that works for short stints of time, but it doesn't really work for long-term health. And I think that kind of reflects itself in this like boom and bust cycle that I've had in my running career of like, yeah, like win a national championship, do nothing for two years. Win four national championships, do nothing for another couple of years. Make the Olympic team, totally bottom out. And so it's like, I need to find a more sustainable fuel. Um, and so I think like being able to realize like, okay, like, healthy body and like sustainable body not just this like play acting health that I've learned how to do really well through multiple courses of ED treatment um but like actually living it and believing it and doing it um I think connecting to people and having those people like honestly like getting in my relationship with Matt who's my partner who I live with um that was a big like wake-up call for me just realizing like I couldn't me with an eating disorder and being in that like very shelled up state just couldn't be a partner to anybody. Like, yeah, I think that was probably one of the big impetus for actually starting to change last year and like legitimate change, not the, not the halfway change that I think I'd done on the previous occasion. So yeah, sorry that was like a really long answer. No. A long and this is a long spiraling answer. Yeah, I think I mean I it's like eating disorders like thrive in in shame and secrecy. Yeah, exactly. And isolation. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I hear for you there's been like a really big shift towards like I actually want to show up for my partner. I want to mm -hmm. show up in my life. I want to connect more. Like I want to be more in my life. Yeah. Um yeah. in a sustainable place in relationship to my body in the world. And I think that's it, is I think it's like it's the almost like a sense of like lying to yourself when you're really in the thick of it of the eating disorder and having to like actually look at like the cold hard truth of it and being able now to f I think it goes hand in hand of like improving my like trying to work through this eating disorder so that I could be a better person but then also like the people around me supporting me through this to carry it through because I think the first time I went through ED treatment when I was in um college or just getting out of college, I I went like, I want to say like three quarters of the way. And I was like kind of there, but in that space where it's just really, really tough and you're in the thick of it and it's so easy to revert back to what you know and not go a full revert, but like just enough that I could be really good at running again really quickly of like, it's really hard to go all the way and and work through that scariness of not knowing what's ahead. And I don't think I had the support network around me last time to do that, that once I went back into competition, I just fell immediately right back into it, especially with the pressures of being a new pro and being on a, a pretty unhealthy, like, just like in an unhealthy situation. And so now having this support network of John, my coach, and Matt, my partner, and like just you here in Flag and all of these people around me that really support a healthy lifestyle and want to see me heal, it's like, okay, like I can continue this to the, to the end point of it and not just need to fall back on old ways to scratch that itch right away, if that makes sense. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked a little bit off air about like workouts and mm -hmm. kind of workouts as this realm in which you're really having to face like your mental side. And mm -hmm. I don't even know if like mental demons is the best way to say it. I would say that. Or just like, but, like anxiety and fear and everything. I think a workout is a very, um, it's a, it like bears it all. It's vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, with being in recovery right now, how do you mm -hmm. notice almost like your, if we've talked about, like, the fuel, it sounds like for running mm -hmm. for the past amount of time at times has been fueled, I'm hearing from you, by, like, more disordered, mm -hmm. like, thoughts yeah. or feelings or mm -hmm. conception of yourself. And now yeah. it's like you're in this new chapter. You're like, I'm actually feeling this mm -hmm. from a different place, from joy, from connection, from yeah. sustainability. Yeah. How do you feel like that then kind of expresses itself through your workouts? Yeah, it's definitely been... Harder than I thought trying to figure that out because in the past, a lot of that fuel came from not like 
not only some of that like self-hatred and just anger, but also from just a straight up untreated OCD obsessiveness of just like, it was never difficult to find the motivation to do things because I was just letting the, the obsessiveness rule me. And now that I feel like I'm in a really good place with stuff and have taken a lot of time to really analyze some of those thought patterns and like, why am I doing these things? Why do I feel this need to over-exercise, to over-push all the time? I think once you realize that, it's a little bit harder to use that as the fuel still. And so it's like having to find a different source of fuel of like finding like what inspires me. Why do I want to keep pushing? When you get to that part in the workout that inevitably will come where it just really sucks and you can back back off or push forward, figuring out what that reason is to push forward. Um, And that's been a a difficult thing to figure out, especially just because I've been dealing with other health stuff that's made really running really painful. Um, and so as that has alleviated, it's made it honestly a little bit easier from the mental side of things. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it's just like a deeply personal thing that everybody's got to figure out like what that why is, whether it's because like you, you want to be healthier, you want to be a better person or, all the, some of the woo stuff. I feel like I say these things and then when I'm actually in the workout, like my brain doesn't actually work like that. It's a, I feel like it's a very primal thing once you're like in it and it just comes down to like, do I want this bad enough? Mm. And I think like over everything in the last year, I think I was worried that I would lose that, that like that wanting. And I think it's ebbed and like, yeah, it's like, yeah, ebbed and waned a little bit. But now the wanting of what? It's so tough because it's like it's almost like just this feeling, like I've like this feeling that I've like had in me since I was like a kid of like not knowing why you want it, but you just know it's like you just want it like so badly. Because <sighs> it's not even like a competitiveness. It's not this want of like beating people. I think it's that it's a really interesting thing, and I think the thing that I love most about pro running is. It's this incredible opportunity that when everything's clicking and everything's flowing, I've never had a feeling like that in any other space in my life. And it's so, you almost feel like you're not yourself anymore. You're something else or like you're this, at at my most woo-woo, I like consider it of like when you're at like your peak, whether it's in art, whether it's in sport, some other thing is flowing through you. And that's honestly how it's felt in my best races. Like at the Olympics, it just felt like it wasn't even me anymore. Like you're a channel. Exactly. Yeah. You are like channeling some other energy or whatnot. And like you become greater than the sum of your parts. And it's that feeling of like you, when you go past all of those mental blocks that are holding you, that sense of ego, that the voice in your brain that's telling you, hey, everything's hurting, slow down. It's like once you can break past that and get into this other sphere, and I, I don't really resonate with flow state because it doesn't feel like flow state. It feels like something else, but it's just such a cool feeling and something that I've never felt in any other sense. And I would assume that's how people who are like, yeah, making great art feel sometimes. It's like it's not even their own thing anymore. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so powerful. Yeah. Can we bring it to like this week in training? Mm-hmm. I know on one of the days I saw you, you had a double workout day mm-hmm. and you were in Camp Verde in the morning and you were here in Flag in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like you're able to tap into that channel energy? Like right on the now, regular? no, <laughs> okay. no, like, there are very few and far between. Um, like what has to be true for that to emerge? I think it's this combination of physical preparedness and like just being okay mentally. It's like this this intertwining of the two. So you have to be very, very fit and very mentally keyed in. And I feel like I am neither of those things right now. It is the first week back of workouts for this marathon build and everything is just a struggle. Like I think people don't understand how much like mental fitness goes into like racing a marathon at the pro level. And so when you get back into training, especially like for right now, I'm coming off of, I've not raced a marathon in two years. Um, I'm coming off of like a two week break period that I've had to get like iron infusion. So I haven't been doing workouts. Your, I feel like your brain muscles that allow you to push atrophy as well. And so it's just getting back into that and getting used to it. But because of that, everything is a struggle. Like even just that Tuesday when we saw each other, 
I was overcome with such anxiety all day long of just doing the workouts, how it's going to feel, that fear of knowing that it's really going to hurt and the fear of, will I be able to push through when it really hurts? Um, and then just, yeah, the physical, the, the physical toll that it takes to do two workouts in a day is really, really tough. And so it's like, right now I feel like a lot of it is just kind of like, you just have to hold on for dear life and let the marathon build take you where it's going to go and just not, not think too deeply about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think what would be interesting for people to hear about is like, you did both of those workouts alone. Like I know Mm -hmm. on the first workout you had people around you, but like, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like people might have the misconception in Flagstaff. There's like hundreds of pro runners. (laughs) You always have people to work out with, but like you actually did both of those workouts solo. Yeah. Tell me more about like actually the experience of doing them by yourself. And yeah, I feel like, I think there's a place for doing runs with people and runs without people. And I think it builds a different kind of strength either way. Um, and just by the nature of what our workouts were this week, like my training partner, Jessa was doing different workouts. And so, yeah, a lot of like both of those were, yeah, both my workouts last week were completely solo. And so it, I think it just builds that mental, um, yeah, it's a little bit of like mental callousing. Because, like, you can't always count on there being people in the race. I've definitely had races where I was solo for the majority of them. And I I don't know. I think sometimes you just have to deal with the reality of what it is. And, yeah, it sucks sometimes to have to push and go hard when you're alone. But I feel like this week has been a real mental switch for me of, like, I feel like the last few weeks it's been really difficult going through the anemia, being like, what's my what's my reason? And I think the the realizing that Chicago is not far away and that I'm on a bit of a time crunch right now, I think it kicked that into the gear and I felt really powerfully of just like this like surge of motivation all of a sudden that I'm like, I want to get after it at everything because we really don't have a lot of time and it doesn't matter if I have people to train with or not, like the work has to be done because nine weeks from now, I've got to line up for a marathon whether I like it or not. Yeah. So how do you feel like I hear the time crunch about Chicago, but I also hear we've talked about offline, like needing to be sustainable and like, mm-hmm. not like yeah. not burning it too hot. Like yeah, exactly. In these next nine weeks. Like, yeah. how do you feel like you're going to hold yourself back or how do you feel like you're going to be able to find that balance for you of like pushing it, but not overdoing it? I think the last two years have been probably the best instruction of that, of just seeing what happened. Like, I think once you repeatedly push yourself and break yourself enough times, it starts to actually get through your skull. And I think I'm at that point that I'm like, I know, not know, I understand my limits a little bit better. And so it's like just being able to know that feeling, know when I'm on that line, doing all the other supplementary stuff, but knowing that Chicago is not the end goal here, I think is the biggest thing of knowing that there's a much bigger goal for me in six months, which like, and this is no, not like, I love the majors. I love racing major marathons, but like for me, it's always been championship races. I feel like that's what I've always gravitated towards. And so knowing that Chicago is going to be an extremely fast race, someone will probably run the American record there. It will not be me. Um, I am going out and trying to just have a good, like B plus a minus day out there and really build into this Olympic year in the same way that when I raced London in 2020 during the pandemic year, the entire point of that race was to get ready for the Olympics. And I felt like we set up what I did at the Olympics really well at the race. Like, I think if someone had seen me there and be like, oh yeah, the girl who took sixth at pandemic London is going to like get a medal at the Olympics. Don't get me. And so it's like, it didn't make sense at the time for a lot of people, but for what our goals were, it made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's it. Like if I go out and do anything less than stellar at Chicago, I'm going to get a ton of shit for it. But it's like, the plan isn't to try and win Chicago. The plan is to try and make the Olympic team. So yeah, that's kind of it of like, I think that knowledge of like Chicago is not the end goal here will keep me in check a little bit more. Yeah, Chicago's like going to be the stepping stone for you. Yeah, exactly. Towards the bigger goal. Yeah, and I think just the fact that we are on a bit of a time crunch for Chicago, like, lends itself a little bit better to being able to maintain that thought process. Because I've had to do that for other marathons. Like, we had that for New York. We had that for, heck, London. And just knowing, like, okay, like, there's no sense trying to cram in everything. I'm going to do what I can as well as I possibly can. But you can't do more than you can do. 
I know that sounds very childish to say, but it's, it's or like very obvious, but it's like, there's only so much, like I run twice a day, every single day. Like, what am I going to do? Run three times a day? Like, yeah, I can't like, I feel like I've got my process down and I'm not going to like try to eke a little bit more water out of this stone. Cause I know how that ends. That's what we tried to do for world champs last year. And it ended very badly. <laughs> Yeah, and I know something you shared about on Instagram yesterday was like the integration of more strength and mobility into mm-hmm. your training and how that's yeah. brought up. Oh, were you able to see that post? Because it uh, it was sensitive content. I'm amazed you were even able to see it. <laughs> we need it. Like, like what? What happened? I, somebody had to have reported it. Okay. <laughs> I was just so shocked by that. I'm like, I'm wearing literally like granny panty spandex right now. Like, what is... I don't even know. I don't know. I was like, Matt took such beautiful photos of her. Um, I loved them. And I I loved also just like, they were like, you just like doing your thing. I loved how just like real they were. Yeah. Um, Towards, I feel like sometimes when people take photos of people in gyms, Mm -hmm. it can be like super Yeah, super staged. Well, that's why I feel like it's nice having a professional photographer as my boyfriend because it makes it like, Matt will just like come to things and shoot photos. And I like... it has become like, it's just such a casual thing or even like Matt came along for the long run today. And so it's like, I'm enormously grateful that like I have all these ways to document these runs without it having to feel like a staged thing, which so often things are in, in running. It's just like all photo shoots and whatnot. And so it's like, it's really nice just feeling like they're actually real photos because like, I'm not going to pose for him. Like, (laughs) yeah. But tell me a little bit about how like mobility and strength, how it's felt to integrate those in a different way right now for you. Yeah, no, it's actually been great. I feel like, um, so about, yeah, probably a year ago, um, Puma sent me to this doctor out in Germany, um, that I've now worked with for the whole past year. And he was like instrumental for making sure that my hip was okay because my hip was really, really messed up. And part of his like process is, uh, like full scale. He does like medical treatments, but it goes hand in hand with like just all around mobility, like joint functionality kind of stuff. A very, um, it's like functional strength. I I know I'm probably mangling the words on these, but like making sure that the joint capsules are moving well because running just locks you up in a way that like other sports don't necessarily do. And so I find that just keeping that active mobility is such a key part. And so working with those guys, I go back over to Munich every few months. Um, I'm going back over in about three weeks right after Falmouth I felt like has been so like just holistic I feel like I never approached weights like that before um and then also like as part of it too like I think since college I've had this very like just pounded into my brain like you have to limit the amount of weights that you do and the amount of strength training you do because otherwise you'll bulk up you'll be too heavy for running and I'm already a very injury-prone runner, so in the times when I back off of weights most, that's the time that I'm most likely to get injured because you can't just run. It's just, it's that's nonsensical. So yeah, I feel like going through ED treatment is like coming to terms with that of just like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the theme of this this build into trials and over this next year is just like, I've just got to be okay with what my body is. Like I've been spending my whole life trying to manipulate it into something else to form it, to want it to be something else and work so hard to make that happen. And it's just not working. And so it's like, okay, like I just have to kind of accept the reality of like that I'm, uh, uh, I'm never going to be, five foot eight and long and lean. Like I'm always going to be five foot four and pretty stocky and muscular for a runner. And so it's like, okay, what can we do with that? Yeah. Does the word like acceptance resonate with you or self-love or is that too much? Or mm, I don't think I'm even at the point of self-love. I, th- I think it's like just learning to accept it and accept like the reality. Like I feel like I keep thinking of it of like, we have our, our dog Rye and he's a little like thick boy border collie. And it's like, Rye doesn't spend every single day wishing that he was a greyhound. And it's like, he still runs super well. He's still a great little thick boy athlete, but it's like, he's just okay with what he is. And he never thinks, man, I wish I was a greyhound. I would be so much better if I was a greyhound. And all I do is spend all day long wishing I was a greyhound. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And so I think thinking of it that way of like, just because you're born a certain way is not like, I don't know. It, I've been able to have success 
it, despite the fact that I don't see myself as this like epitome of a runner. Maybe that's sometimes what like messes with my brain so much is like I see the the women around me or the Kenyans around me, and I'm like, why don't I look like you guys? Forgetting the fact that I'm running with them. Yeah, and you're beating a lot of them. But and like, I guess that's it. And so it's like it's almost once you start like overthinking it, and I think that's what happened a lot over these last two years. I like kept trying to like quantify my. I'm like, how could this happen? Like in the same way that like, yeah, like a a bumblebee isn't supposed to fly, but it's somehow flying. And like I almost feel like I'm that bumblebee, like questioning why it should be flying, and then it can't fly anymore. And so it's like it's sometimes like that of like I just have to trust that it's gonna like work out. Maybe that's what faith is. It's just the <laughs> completely delusional belief that it's going to work out even in the face of all the evidence to the contrary. Yeah, so I don't know. I feel like it is like this like learning to just accept and do it anyway. And no matter how much anxiety that I have that things should be different, that I just have to be okay with the way things are and trust that it'll work out anyway. And it might not, and that's okay. Like life doesn't always give you what you want, but like... I have to live with this body for the rest of my life and I'm kind of sick of just like constantly trying to destroy it. So like maybe that's it is just like wanting to be able to like be okay in this body that I have to live with forever. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it sacrifices short-term running goals or long-term running goals. I don't know. I think that's the scariness kind of like when I said of like the getting three quarters of the way through ED treatment and then reverting. It's because the going forward is terrifying because you don't know what the result is. If I revert now, I know that I can go back to a place of running really, really well for probably two, maybe three years max and then just be right back in the same place that I am. And I'm sick of that cycle. And so it's like, okay, I have the choice of going back to what I know and busting again or going forward and yeah, it might not work out. I might not get to be the same pro runner that I was, but it's like, it's worth a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I think that's some of it. Do you see yourself wanting to run pro for like, for how long do you see, do you see the path forward? I don't know. I feel like I'd keep assessing it every few years. I've told myself in a way, like if I can like, if my body holds up and if I can do it, like I'll go through LA um, and that's like, granted, like you don't know if you're going to make Olympic teams. The U.S. team is so good. But like but setting that kind of as a site, like I would be 34 by then. I don't know if I want to do this till I'm 40. It's really, really tough on my brain. Like being in this world is really, really tough. It's just constantly triggering. And so it's like, I love this sport. It might involve some sorts of like transitions, like exploring different ways to do this sport because I love the running aspect. It's the uber competitive pro running, pro road running aspect of it that can sometimes fuck with my brain. So I don't know. Right now I keep telling myself, do it through LA and then you can be done and have your whole life. But I know if things are going okay, I could get there and want to do it longer. If things aren't going okay, it might be earlier than that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you speak to like the uber competitive road running part of it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like in Flagstaff, you're surrounded by a lot of your competitors. Mm -hmm. And what is that like? And I know, even tell us about your long run this morning. Like, what yeah. was that like? It, it's it's such an interesting dynamic because, like, in certain ways, like, I love it in so many ways of just, like, having this community here in Flag of people that, like, I am legitimately friends with. Like, it's really nice to be able to have these people who are like, yes, we will compete very hard against each other. Like, when trials comes, we will be at each other's throats. But it's like, we are willing to, like, set that aside and train together and have fun and actually like legitimately really cheer for each other in those other times, which is really nice. It can be really, really hard if not everything is going perfectly and you have to watch all of this going on around you and not get to be in it. Mm -hmm. Like Flagstaff running is amazing when you get to be within it. It sucks when you're outside the bubble or if you're in the pool or if you're going through eating disorder treatment. It's like, it can be really, really tough sometimes. And so I think it's part of it is like cultivating a community outside of the running side as well. 
Yeah. Would you feel comfortable sharing about like your long running experience? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was just funny. (laughs) Yeah. It's so basically yesterday, um, I was shaking out on, uh, near my house and I ran into Alephine and who was my teammate at the Olympics. And Alephine is one of the hardest workers I've ever met. And like this girl goes hard in training. So I'm like always kind of worried of like doing runs with her, but I'm like, okay. She's like, no, we're going, don't worry. I'm very tired. We're going very easy tomorrow. And my dumbass believed her. And so we got, we were, she was going 20. I was going like 21. So we got 10 miles out. We had been hauling and we flipped and it just like goes silent. And Kellen, who is her teammate, just starts absolutely pounding. And like for her, it's probably not even pounding. She's just running her normal long run pace, but they trained so hard and Allie went with her. And it was, they were probably going like six minute pace, six tens. And Jessa and I just like shared a look, Jessa, my training partner, and yeah, shared a look and we were just like, no, not today, Satan. Like we got to back it off. <laughs> and so I'm grateful that I have those different options of like, if I was feeling really, really crisp, like maybe would have gone with them, but that was not the vibe today. And so I'm really grateful that I have someone else that I can go. Still a very good clip. I think we closed in like 620 or 630, but like, yeah, just having different options. And I think that's what's nice about flag. There's always someone who wants to push on the day and there's always the people who want to hang back and being able to choose where you need to be on that day, I think is the key. I feel like it's not like, nobody's trying to like kill each other. It's more of, um, and that's the thing. I don't think like what Alephine and Kellen, it was not like a big dick contest or something. It was legitimately just them being like, hey, we're feeling really good today. And honestly, I feel like that's the best thing in running to be able to like have like, not have ego attached to it, like be able to let them go and just like, hey, like they're feeling really good today. Yeah, let them go run hard. And like, I'm just going to do me. Everybody just does them. Yeah, and you'll have your days where you're feeling exactly. really good. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we talk about it, that in workouts too. I think the big thing is like communication sometimes of like, it's not always going to be your day, but sometimes you do. And just like communicating of like, hey, like I want to take these reps a little bit harder and not, I think that's how you keep it from becoming like a really toxic thing, which I think in specifically women's running, it can become really quickly because we tie so much of our identity to this. So it's like, oh, that person thinks they're better than me. They ran faster. It's like, no, they just felt like running faster today. Like that's literally all it is. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I know you're a big reader, Mm -hmm. like probably one of the biggest readers I know. (laughs) I need to be reading more. (laughs) (laughs) We should ask Matt. (laughs) And I know you also listen to pods and I'm just curious, like what are you consuming right now or what is inspiring you? I'm I'm doing a lot of um, nonfiction right now. Uh, I've got two dense boys going on. I've got The Dawn of Everything, which is a absolute tome for like basically anthropological theory. Um, and like evolution of human societies that I've been working on that one for a while. It's really, really big. Just some light reading. Just some light reading. And then um, thesis notes on complexity, which just came out, um, which is basically he is like a, uh, I, I want like a cell biologist who wrote a book on complexity theory, which is legitimately one of the most fabulous books I've read in a while. Everybody should read this book. It like intertwines like science and religion and just like philosophy. Like the guy's a genius. Everybody should read this book. How did you hear about the book? It was on Armchair Expert. He was uh, talking about complexity theory on Armchair Expert. And I've, I've heard of it before. And his explanation of complexity theory, I think was the best that I'd heard and I was just really intrigued by it. And so I started reading the book. Um, yeah, they convinced me to buy the book. Um, and I don't know, it's, I feel like it's just a really deep, thoughtful book in a way that I haven't read in a while of like really, I'll like read a passage and just need to like think about it for a bit. It's really, really cool, but not dense in a way. Like it's just a tiny little thing. Um, and just really powerful book. Yeah, Notes on Complexity. You're, you're convincing me. I'm, after this, I'm going on Amazon. And yeah, I, and I think it's like, it's really been, like, I've been vibing with it just in the sense of, like, basically the idea is, like, that, like, nature, like, organizes itself into complex structures mm-hmm. in a way. Like, think of, like, fractals of, like, the deeper, like, it's always a smaller piece of it. So you can't necessarily look at a human body as, like, a single thing. Like, think of it as the combination of all the cells that are organizing into your body and working together. And then all the people in society, they're organizing into into cities and start, like, 
I know I'm not explaining this super well, but it helps me sometimes to think of like, hey, like when I get really down on myself, really down about this flawed being that I am, I'm like, hey, like I'm just made up of all these little component parts that are working so hard. And like, this is just my brain as one part of it trying to self-destruct the whole. And sometimes you got to trust the rest of the whole to do what it needs to do. And I think that's been a really helpful and powerful thing for me like as I kind of like internalize some of like the ED treatment stuff as I go forward. Yeah, there's like a deep level of trust and interconnection. Exactly. Like yeah. Interconnection between you and your body and your mind and then mm-hmm. also interconnection of like us and the universe and yeah. nature. And I think it makes you feel less alone a little bit sometimes of like you're not just this like island. It's like there's such a connection to everything around you. Yeah. Speaking of connection, mm. I've been saving the story for the pod. So oh, I'm very excited to hear this. <laughs> okay. So yesterday morning I was doing a run by myself and um, there's this place called Mailboxes and Flag mm-hmm. and I was running um, on Happy Trails, which yeah. is like my favorite road in Flagstaff because there's a wire pointing griffin dog breeder on it um, and it just like makes my day. So I'm running and I'm just out there vibing. It's pretty early, like 6.30 mm-hmm. in the morning and I hear footsteps coming up behind me and mm-hmm. that's not uncommon in Flagstaff that I'll get passed on almost every single run I do because there's a lot of pro runners here. <laughs> And all of a sudden, there's, like, this young high schooler, like, high school-looking boy who oh, passes right. me. Yeah. And I say, like, oh, good morning, good morning. Mm-hmm. And we just start chatting. And so we started running together. Oh, that's so um, nice. He clearly slowed down to run with me, which was kind. <laughs> and I was, we were just chatting about, like, you know, he had just graduated from high school in Flagstaff. And mm-hmm. he's really passionate about running. Nice. And he's actually coached by, like, Ryan Hall's training Oh, nice. Coaching company. Yeah, run free. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, like, you know, like, what pro runners inspire you? (laughs) (laughs) And what do you know? What does he say? Number one pro runner that inspires him the most is Molly. Oh, that's so sweet. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was like, yeah, why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? She's really not that cool. I know her. (laughs) And then he was like, yeah, she just has such a great sense of humor. And she's so open and relatable about mental health. And I was just like, oh, awesome. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. I'll let her know. Yeah. But it just was so, like, touching that, like, your impact, like... Oh, that's really special. Right? And, like, that level of interconnection. Yeah. Like, who would have thunk? I think that's the coolest thing about, like, sometimes I get, like, I get so whiny about the social media stuff sometimes, but then it is really cool just to see, like, that it has had an actual impact. And, like, that's what I'm hoping, because, like, I just feel like I didn't have that kind of, like positive reinforcement in the sport when I was a kid. Like, I I developed a very specific view of, like, what running had to be because of what I saw around me. And so I guess that's now, like, I hope that, like, if good comes from social media, it's that runners can see that, like, there's no one specific way that you have to be Mm -hmm. a runner. I think even if you look at just amongst the top women marathoners in the U.S., which is already such a narrow, like, like, schema of running, that there's such a diversity in our approaches to the sport. How I approach the sport is totally different from Sarah Hall, which is totally different from Kira, which is totally different from, like, uh, Emily Sisson. And so it's, um, yeah, I think it's just really, really interesting to, um, to just see how, like, just varied it can be and like how different people push themselves and like what their approach is to it so hopefully that's kind of the the cool part of all of this yeah it is it just it was just so it like totally made my day like oh that's really special yeah just like a high school young male is like that like the first person that he thought of was like a female body that's actually really cool to me because like back when I was in high school man like for a guy to say that he looked up to like a female like pro distance runner would have been unheard of. I think yeah. it's just like there's so much. Uh, yeah, it's that's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I was saving that for the pod. Yeah. Oh. Um, so we thank you for sharing bit. that. Of course. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about what you're reading. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to this month? Like, or what, what am I listening? Music or pods or what's been hmm. in your earbuds? I've been listening to a lot of disco to Matt's chagrin. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I've been on a K. I'll do like. Uh, more like rap type music for workouts. I feel like that's much more just like like a really hard driving beat for when I'm working out. Um, what rap artist? Let's just. I feel like a lot of it. Uh, I'll do like a lot of Kendrick Lamar. A lot of. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like a lot of the Dreamville artists. So yeah, like J Cole's kind of like Sweet. label um, and all of his people under that. But yeah, I'm trying to think of like. Other just like good music that I've been listening to. 
I feel like I go, I'll do a lot of like chill electronic a lot of times. What is, it's called Vapor Soul. I like the artist Ford a lot. That's like my, my vibey music when I need to just like calm down. I need that. <laughs> and then just so many pod, armchair expert. You have ruined me on podcast because I'm I an armchair. You? you did introduce me. You introduced me with Armchair Anonymous last year when I was injured and biking. And you were like, you know what you should listen to while you're cross training? Armchair expert. And I am the most rabid fan. I'm the biggest armchair. I listen to every one of their podcasts the second it comes out. It's so good. And I'm so still, good. whenever they want to invite Molly on the pod, um, which hopefully will be that soon. That is the dream. It's, it's going to happen. That if anyone has any connects who's listening <laughs> to the Armchair Expert podcast, reach out. I'll um, clean up my act talking. I'll make sure my voice sounds really nice. That is like the absolute dream. I admire those guys so much. I just feel like they're so real. The conversations are so good. Yeah. I'm always just wildly entertained by everything Did you everything listen to there. Naked in Public? No, I haven't. Li- I, okay, I lied. Okay. I haven't listened to that one right okay. away. Yeah, it's good. It's oh, fun. No. Um, oh, so what is this next kind of month of life of training look like for you? And what do you feel like yeah. are kind of like whether it be your intention or your goal or like what are you keeping with you? Mm, so in front of your mind. Yeah, the next month is going to be a little bit. Just it's a lot. So basically, we're like trying to really get in a lot of training quickly. Get ready for Falmouth Road Race, which is back in Boston, or not Boston, sorry. I fly into Boston, rent a car, drive down to Cape Cod, and it's a great seven-mile race um, right along the coast. Love that race. I'm going to use it more as a workout just because I'm still pretty undertrained because we only just started. So do Falmouth kind of as a workout. Use it as an excuse to see Boston friends. Fly directly from there to Munich. Um, go see this dock. Do a tiny little like Munich stint. Um Izzy then flies into Munich and I'm going to grab her with the rental car and we are going to drive down to Chamonix in France, meet up with Matt um, and a bunch of our other friends. And we've rented out a chalet in Chamonix for the UTMB Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc like uh, trail race down there. It's like the premier trail race in the world that Matt is going to be shooting. Um, I'll use that as a mini camp down there. Um, there's like a tiny, weirdly shaped little track in town. So I'll do some of my training there, come back and race the US 20K champs on the back end of that trip. And then it'll be head down, train for Chicago. So I feel like all my answers are just like these rambling long answers. No, but, this is the point. This is but, for us to ramble. Yeah. But so it'll be kind of like a lot, just a lot, a lot of, of transitions. Stuff. It's a lot of transitions, which I feel like sometimes is helpful for me to learn to deal with just the uncertainty sometimes. It, I feel like when I'm in flag, things are so like controlled here that it's sometimes nice to just get thrown into just the chaos to practice that of like, okay, how do you... How do you work on all of your, just all your shit while everything's in flux? Yeah. So what would you say would then be kind of for you top of mind, like either an intention or kind of like your goal, whether it be training mentally or physically this month? I feel like my intention for this month is this like, this thought pattern that I've been trying to cultivate of one, uh, just like giving a shit, just really working hard and caring about the little things that sometimes... I let the anxiety win and I pay too much attention to the things that don't matter and not enough attention to the things that I actually can control and do. So just being really diligent with these little things and giving a shit about the little things. Um, And then even like just my mentality in workouts, really giving a shit about how my brain is approaching workouts so that I'm not leaving anything on the table mentally. Like... I think it's one thing to have to tap out of a workout because your body is just fried. It's another because your mind isn't there, and that's what frustrates me. So I think, yeah, really working on that. And, yeah, I feel like just going into it and really embracing the fact that it's going to be really hard for a while. Like this first part of the build, while fitness is building, is always – it just feels hard. It's a real struggle. And realizing that there's growth in that struggling – that just because you're struggling and it's hurting doesn't mean you're growing. That it's like, yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to be working towards something. What a beautiful way to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I, I just really need to give a shit this build. Yeah. 
no, it's awesome. Is anything else feeling said for you? Anything else you want to? I don't know. I feel like we've just talked about me this whole time. I want to talk about you, Jules. <laughs> but this is this podcast is going to be. I know. Focused this on is why you're such a good podcaster. <laughs> yeah. It, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm just like very excited to like get back into the swing of things and feel like I'm finally in the place where I get to be excited about a race again. Like there's that fear of like Chicago is so close, but also just that, holy shit, like Chicago is so close. And like getting to race a marathon just makes me really freaking excited. And I think that's how I know I'm like in those times when I wonder like, man, like am I just done? Like, is this just it? I'm like, no, because I still get really excited to do this. Like... (laughs) think when the time comes and I'm not excited that'll be it (laughs) yeah the fire is still there yeah so we'll see awesome well I'll we'll get to talk again in September yeah we'll see you then I'll give you an update on all of my travels (laughs) (laughs) good luck with all of those hopefully there's no flight cancellations you don't get stuck in Boston again for three days thank you yeah well hopefully not I can't look at that airport anymore (laughs) oh love you Jules love you too Thank you for tuning in to our first episode of The Build Up, a Beyond the Pines production. Stay tuned once a month for a new episode from now until February 2024 as we document Molly's mental and physical preparation for the 2024 Olympic Trials Marathon. Huge thanks to Matt Shapiro for photography and videography and John Summerford for music and audio production. You can also watch the live recording of the buildup on Molly's or Beyond the Pines' YouTube channels. Tune back in in September. Be well until then.